You're listening to the Passionate DJ Podcast, Episode 8. Welcome to the Passionate DJ Podcast, where it's all about becoming a better DJ through passion and purpose. And now, your host, David Michael. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Passionate DJ Podcast, Episode 8. I'm David Michael, and we're glad to have you with us today. Now, today on the podcast, we're going to be talking to Joe Pardo, who is putting together a really cool project called Adventuratorium. Um, So we're basically going to be talking about uh, storytelling in a mix, and not only that, but how to kind of do some added value to the to an entire project, you know, rather than just recording a mix and then putting it up on SoundCloud or something like that. Uh, different ways to kind of create a whole package and ways to promote that might be a little bit outside of the box and and all kinds of cool stuff. Now, Joe contacted me uh, a little while back to tell me about the project, and it caught my attention because I have done my own storytelling mix, which is called Zombie Hotel. Um, and which is kind of a, uh, it, it fits along the lines of the, the zombie niche, but it provides like various audio cues to the listener and kind of tells, literally tells a story uh, through the entire mix. And uh, Joe's is more of a retelling of Pixar's movie Up. And uh, it's very cool and it's also for a good cause. So I hope you guys enjoy. Check it out. All right, Joe, thanks for being with us today. Thank you for having me. So you're working on uh, some pretty cool projects that I'd like to talk about on the podcast today. But first, uh, let's get to know you a little bit. Tell us your story. Well, uh, growing up, I I really uh, enjoyed listening to music. It was mostly rock and roll music from my parents, you know, Bruce Springsteen, ACDC, you know, Ozzy. And it wasn't until I was maybe about seven, eight years old that I, I, you know, started to listen to like what was, what else was on the radio, like the, the pop music and stuff like that. It was the, the nighttime DJs that I was listening to because I really enjoyed hearing music that was different, like whether it was a house version or something, but I didn't know what it was called at the time. I just knew it was different than what you would normally hear. From there, I, you know, I would make mixtapes and stuff like that. I mean, not cutting, cutting up the tape or anything like that, like with razor blades, but you know, recording stuff off of the radio and, and, and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I, I just really loved music in general. The side of me with DJing wouldn't come around until a little bit before senior year of high school. I happened to be flipping through channels, and I saw on QVC that they had this thing called a home mix system back in, like, 2001, 2002. And it's basically like two CD decks, top you know, top loaded with a mixer in the middle, and had like a plastic cover that went over it, and had a built-in amplifier with two speakers. I actually had the speakers up in my attic still. It's an early um, all-in-one unit, huh? Yeah, it, it wasn't um, all-in-one for sure. In fact, it even said that it, it's not meant for professional use when you buy it. So, so I had this thing, and you know, you could pitch bend it uh, 10% in each direction. But you know, I really didn't know what I was doing. I didn't have a collection of CDs that I could use for DJing. I had never touched the turntable before, outside of like the broken one that was in the garage that was just taking up space and collecting dust. 
so around that time, I the the only the only real influence I had uh, going on was uh, these these CDs from Louis Devito, the uh, was the underground. I think it was like underground NYC mixes. It was all I really had as far as exposure. I had um, a couple Paul Van Dyke CDs and I think one or two Tiesto CDs. I didn't know how to mix. I didn't have anybody there. YouTube didn't exist yet. It was something I didn't have anybody around me to foster that that in me. So did you kind of come in through that that dance music sound with the you know dance remixes of pop songs or the kind of the big trance names of that day and that sort of thing? Yeah, that's that's really where I got started listening to that stuff. It you know it really grabbed me. Um, I mean, other bands at the time that I was listening to uh, specifically was like Dream Theater. And like prog rock, like transatlantic, and, and sure. that vein, um, big time. As long, you know, as well as other other stuff. But I mean, my my music tastes have always been very, very, very diverse. It wasn't until senior year when there was an underage club that opened up in our area where I got to know other DJs. So at the time, I, I got to learn a lot from them because I was working the lights up in the booth, and I got to know the owner real well, and. They really, you know, brought me along and showed me what it, you know, what mixing was all about. Uh, the other big thing at the time for me was coming across in the late great Virgin Megastore down in Florida. Right. Was, uh, how to DJ write. When I, when I got that book, I, I mean, I don't usually read books, but I couldn't put that book down. It just had to read it straight through. And it taught me a lot, and I would recommend it to anybody. In fact, uh, a couple of people that have come to me and said, hey, I want to learn how to DJ, I, I, gave, I gave them that book and was like, hey, read this book. It's going to tell you more than what I'm going to be able to tell you. So it sounds like you had uh, maybe some some mentors or some people that you looked up to, but then you had a lot of self-taught kind of elements as well? Yeah, uh, it was a lot of trial and error. Oh, uh, as far as musical goes... Like when I was in like fifth, sixth grade, like everybody was in the band. So that's, you know, I played saxophone and, and I didn't really go far with it, um, past, you know, sixth grade, but, but I also was always into like playing piano. In fact, even when I was little, probably about four or five, I was taking uh, lessons for piano from my aunt. About seven, yeah, maybe about seven years old that stopped. Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. I, um, I actually have, uh, a- piano background as well. I took classical piano through the uh, Suzuki method uh, for about 10 years, but turns out I'm, I'm not all that great. So um, I, I have this weird hang up where I, I have a good, I guess, touch and I have a good ear, but I just can't read music fast enough to save my own life. So it's, it's kind of interesting. I took that knowledge and turned it into production, which turned into DJing. It's interesting how it still kind of worked out you know, in, in that way where I, I learned so much about uh, improvisation and, and composing and scales and arpeggios and those sort of things. And, we, and you can take those and you don't necessarily have to use them for what you originally thought you were going to use them for. So, Joe, today we want to talk about storytelling in our mixes. People often say, you know, when they're either recording a mix or they're playing out, I, I want to take you on a journey or something like that. But we're, what we're talking about today is literally storytelling in a mix. So I, I've got a project myself that I called Zombie Hotel, which you've listened to. We talked about this beforehand. And what I did was kind of take various audio cues and and put them over music that kind of was intended to literally tell a story or at least suggest pieces of a story that the listener could put together. You took a, a much different approach 
with your very cool project called Adventuratorium, which is is largely Disney-based. So how did this come about? I mean, what is it about Disney that catches your attention? And, and are you a longtime fan, or is this a recent thing? Tell, tell us your love affair with Disney. So, so first, I want to say that... Uh, if you haven't heard Zombie Hotel, you, you really should give it a listen. Um, it, it's very slow paced, but if you stick with it, it you will be very rewarded. And uh, trying to describe it to somebody that I work with, you know, it's very vivid. Like the, the imagery in my head was very vivid, but it was very hard to describe to him, you know, what I listened to. You really have to listen to it for yourself. Well, I appreciate that. Oh, yes. Not a problem. It's, it's kind of cool like that, too. Like the, the whole point was you know everybody might get something a little different out of it and i and i think the fact that it's kind of hard to describe works well <laughs> for that because it's you know you might get something different out of it than joe bob off the street so i i, f- I feel like probably adventuratorium has the same kind of feel to it I, I, not the same feel i mean it's a much different sounding mix <laughs> mine's darker and, and yours is a little more uplifting and and so but the same kind of concept you know that everybody i think is going to take something different away um so how did how did you use disney material to tell that story and and where does where does your history with disney the disney brand come in well uh let me start with the, the history uh i've been going to disney since i well, before I can remember, uh, my fa- most of my family is very big Disney fans, so they always, you know, every year, year after year, they would go down and we would go down. So I, and then once I was old enough to start going on my own, I started going on my own, and once you know, going down to Disney World. Sorry, let me clarify that. Sure, I, I would go down like once a year, you know, six days to. 10 days and then once a year it turned into okay now we're going twice a year now we're going three times a year now it's like okay now we have to get an annual pass but if we get an annual pass then we're going to be going down even more and now we're up to like anywhere between three and five even six times a year um for weekend trips just two three days you know we got a lot of friends down there so it's it's always it's always a good time and to me it's more about the people and the experience of of the people i get to go like I'm having dinner with friends that live down there now, like later today. Uh, so it's in your DNA. You've been doing this for since you were born. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, you know what's funny is I'm not even a big Disney movie fan. Really? <laughs> <laughs> like I love I love Disney World. I love Pixar. The Disney movies I have an appreciation for, but they're you know I wouldn't sit down and be like, oh man, we gotta watch The Lion King for the hundredth time again. <laughs> it's just it's just not gonna happen for me. Uh, maybe once I have kids, maybe you know that. Different, different time then. Okay, so um, so what is Adventuratorium? How does that work into it? I mean, what is the the concept? Well, the concept was I was asked to do a mix of all Disney music for uh, uh, my friends at the Mickey Miles podcast, MickeyMilesPodcast.com. dot com. I you know I was like, oh well, if I do this, I, I should do something with a story. It's been a while since I've, I've wanted to do something with you know story based. Uh, one of my favorite DJs, DJP at djpmix.com he uh he always uses like story-based stuff uh whether it's from movies or tv shows in fact his greatest mix um album is from uh peewee's big adventure so I, I i took some of that and i was like you know i'm gonna get a story but you know it's, it's i didn't have a whole lot of time to work on it, it was only about like supposed to be like a month or two months actually i think like a month so it was like a month project, and I was like, you know, to get all these different samples together and make it like a coherent story is going to take 
a long, long time. I was like, why don't I just stick with just one movie and base the whole theme around that? Because, I mean, Disney's for the, is all about the storytelling, uh, whether it's at the theme parks or in the movies or the TV shows, even the music to a certain extent. Well, the music for the actual movies and the attractions are all, you know, story themed. So did, did they contact you or did you contact them? Uh, the podcast? Yeah, to put together the initial mix. They, they contacted me. I had did, um, a previous mix for them that you can actually download at my website, which you'll, I'm sure will be in the show notes. Yeah, absolutely. That's like a two hour dance mix. If you're, if you're looking for something to run to, that was all like, like run requests. Okay. Uh, I, I chose the movie up because I really, I mean, I really love the story, the music, and it's fantastic, but it, you know, the thing that stuck out to me was it's not a musical. So I could tell the story through my own music versus just remixing what's already in the, you know, the music that's, that's utilized in the movie. So I, I was able to get a bunch of Disney songs, you know, like 120 or something. I listened to all of them and I, I went through and made notes. That's how we wound up with what we got. Adventuratorium. So they did they just kind of think, you know, at the podcast, like, well, could you put together a mix for us and maybe you'll just record something in an hour or two and then send it to them? And then you you took that and said, no, this needs to be something bigger. And, and the project ran away with you or, or how did how did that it just yeah. felt like it wasn't enough and you wanted to make it into something bigger or did did somebody else, you know, was what was the inspiration that that made you want to turn it into this big project that has become? So when I was I was sitting there and I was listening to the audio soundtrack of Up without the video because I had you know sliced it up so that all I all you had was the audio which was actually kind of a pain and if anybody needs help figuring out how to do something like that from say the DVD files you know feel free to contact me. So you literally ripped the music from the original source like DVDs and, and from the films. So you didn't have like a stack of Disney soundtracks. You actually went and extracted all this this stuff. Oh no no, just just the movie up. The rest of it, oh. like all the other music, was um they actually have CDs out there that gotcha. have that the theme park music and stuff like that. The movie okay. music. It's like a, I think it was a greatest hits collection or something. Gotcha. Uh, so but but with when I was listening to the the to the movie up without the video, I, I realized like how powerful it was. And I was like, you know, this is, you know, I turned to my wife and I was like, you know, this is, this is going to be big. Like this is way bigger than just like some quick, you know, mix that I stitched together and, and send on its way. And it actually ended up missing the original date that it was supposed to come out on, which was a good thing because the original copy that I was going to send them, which would have been really bad. It wouldn't have been, <laughs> been worth like <laughs> anything. Um, at least, I mean, the idea would have been there, but the the mixes were were very rough because I was trying to you know blow through this as quickly as possible because I, I had a deadline um, and there's only so many hours in a night. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so, how many man hours would you say that you spent putting the whole project together? Like total actual labor hours, but then also like. How long did it take you from you know podca- the podcast contacting you to I guess now? Well, they contacted me. It was like January twenty first, and I had this 
done, I think it was April 1st or April 2nd. It, it was somewhere in that timeline where it was like, okay, this is done. This is the, the final prod, you know. In fact, after I, I got it done, I stopped listening to it for two weeks because I had listened to it so many times in my car, like on different uh, speakers, different headphones to make sure like everything sounded as, as well as it possibly could. Your ears start playing tricks on you after a while when you hear the same thing over and over again. Either Either you start forgiving mistakes that you shouldn't or the opposite. <laughs> Very much so. In fact, um, that's why I was very happy when I contacted my friend uh, Jerry Skids, who is like a video guy. He he does uh, video editing, and he also has his own music projects that he does. He has like six albums out. And I sent it to him because he's, he's a Disney fan. And I was like, hey, I, I need the technical side of what I'm listening to to be right. So could you listen to this? And I mean, he's not a DJ, so he doesn't know really what was going on. But he, you know, he's a music guy. So... He listened to it, and I thought he was just going to like, oh, you know, there's like a blip here and a blip there, and you should, you know, fix, you know, fix this or fix that. He wrote five and a half pages. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. And I was because at first I was like, wait, he has, he's not, he's taking forever to get back to me on this. He's like, four days is going by, five days. I'm like, what's going on? He's like, oh, I've been busy, but uh, he's like, I promise you, I'll have it to you by the end of this weekend. And then he did and i was shocked that it was that much it's so good to have people like that to to have as as a resource because that kind of help or that kind of feedback is is hard to come by these days for sure it, it is um i i don't really have a whole whole lot of friends that are djs so i didn't have anybody to be like hey take a listen to this and tell me what you think more not what you think because they might not be a disney person and they might not get it more like hey Here's some mistakes that you might not have heard, or you bent in your mind so that it's you know in your head. Sure. Oh well, if I just sped it up a little bit, it'd be fine. But um, <laughs> part of me, you know, getting back to that, the, part of me wanted to to leave at least some mis not mistakes, but like the live portion of it. You know, talking with DJP back in January, you know, he was like, you know, there's there's something to be said for the raw sound because it is still art. Sure. And it's, it gives it's it that human feel. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so, I mean, I think that there might be one or two. I, well, I know for a fact at least of one spot where I you can he I think you can hear me speed it up um, by hand. Cause it's all done on. I don't know if we mentioned this, but it's all done on two turntables. Yeah, let's let's get into that. Uh, how what are the let's get into the nitty gritty of of how you actually put this together. I mean, did you? Uh, so you, you said turntable. So I'm assuming you were using Serato or Tractor Scratch or something. Along those lines, since you you ripped all these sound sources from various places, so how, how was it mixed? I mean, did you do it all in one go and and re-record it a whole bunch of times till you got it right, or did you put the, the bare bones together and then add on top of it post-processing? Walk us through the the creation of Adventuratorium. When I when I first got started with this project, I was all about you know doing a mix in in one take. You got to be able to do it perfectly because if you can't, then you're not good, right? I mean, that's um, that changed for me when I talked to, to DJP out in, in Springfield, Missouri, and he was like, it's still you. You're 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 still the one that's doing the mixes, even if you can't necessarily do it all live. I mean, this is a guy who does still rocks all vinyl. Right. That's that's his his stick. Right. So so I was like, well, I always felt like that was cheating. So, you know, so a lot of my mixes I would do in one take, and if I couldn't get it right, I would just start over. 
Sure. Um, I really didn't want to edit and do all that. It's not that I didn't want to do it. It's that I didn't want to be, I guess, considered like a, a phony, you know, like, sure. um, some people say like the guy that I mentioned before, Louis DeVito, he, you know, he sucked live. <laughs> It's like, cause he couldn't, he couldn't mix unless he had like eight opportunities to do it in the studio. Right. And he was just doing house music. <laughs> I mean, right. and that was before any real, you know, effects. I mean, the effects, the Pioneer effects, you know, 500, I maybe existed at the time. I mean, there might have been other effects processors, but you know, there wasn't a whole, it isn't not like today where you have tractor and you could just like start playing the music live right off the, the sure. you know, the MP3. I think a lot of times as DJs we get caught up in this idea when we're re- uh, recording a mix that it's almost like every time we're doing a club demo or a, a promo mix, and and I don't think that that's what Adventuratorium is, and I, and I think that's that's pro- possibly a mental block that that some of us need to get past. Like, hey, I'm not necessarily showcasing my live skills. I'm putting together a piece of art. You wouldn't expect a, a painter to take a can of paint and splash it on an easel and then say, well, that didn't turn out the way I wanted, so let's try again. <laughs> I mean, it's a different thing than this is what I could do if you hire me to play at your club or this is, you know, that sort of thing. And I, I think that even if we, we're not consciously thinking that, I think that a lot of DJs have that kind of approach when sometimes it's okay to just put something together for its own sake. Oh, definitely. Uh, one one quick example of that is uh, Robin Scouteris uh, out of Greece. He actually got back to me and loved Adventuratorium. He thought it was really great. But point being is uh, one of his last projects that he worked on was Love Stories Volume 1. Basically, all it is is acoustic versions of songs from the artists that made them. Okay. <laughs> and he, and he, but he stitched the, the claps together. So that it sounds like one long concert, like one long acoustic concert. Okay. And, you know, I was talking to him about it. I'm like, you know, did that, did that feel like you were cheating or anything like that? Cause it wasn't like a real, you know, it wasn't a real mix. Right. He's like, no, it was, it was tough. He was like, because the, all those concerts were, some were recorded in like, uh, stadiums and some were like little rooms. Some had like little crowds, some had big crowds. He's like, I had to stitch all that together to make it sound right. He's like, no, that was tough. I was like, well, I, I meant tough compared to mashing together 30 artists in, in five minutes, <laughs> you know, right. that kind of thing. Um, so it, it, it is art and it, it's all on how you look at it, but it was a mental block for me to have to, to overcome. When I started Adventuratorium, I, I recorded it as one long mix. Well, l- let me let me back up a little bit. I, I started out where I went through with the quotes because I, I chopped up Adventure Tour, or I'm sorry, the movie up, and I made you know I had the samples that I wanted to use. I put, had them in order, and then I went through in Serato, and I, what I did was I would play the sample, listen you know listen to it, and then I would scroll through my Disney songs, figure out what song I wanted to go there, to go along. I mean, I kind of already had an idea because I had a lot of notes from when I listened to all the songs leading up to that. And then I would go through my list of instrumentals. And I got to say, um, keying your music is really makes this process a hell of a lot easier. Yeah. Um, without keying your music, it would have probably taken me – I'd probably still be working on it for, for weeks or months to come because – it just takes forever to find something that sounds right. Unless you know every single song, you know, by heart and you know what every single song sounds like that you have. Just as a quick side note, um, how did, how do you go about keying a music? Do you use like mixed in key or do you do it by ear? Or? 
No, I use a program called Rapid Evolution. It keys, it's not perfect. Like, um, my friend Jeff, who, he's got like a master's in piano. He, uh, he was like, yeah, that, that, that one's not right. And that one's not right, but that one's right. And this one's right. So I'm like, it's not perfect, but it, something's better than nothing. It gets you, gets you there. Gets you in the ballpark. Okay. So you, you, you started out just, just mixing, stringing it all together, uh, live. Well, the, so you the had playlist. The yeah. playlist. Did you plan everything out before starting the mix, or did you just did you ha- did you just keep on trying different various mixes until you had something that you liked, or how did that mental process go for you? Well, I had various mixes that I wanted to do. Some of it I knew, some of it I didn't. Some music I knew I wanted to use. Some instrumentals that I knew I wanted to use. But it was just a matter of finding where they went. So I, I'd have like a separate playlist um, called like Adventuratorium Q, where I would cue like I had music that was like I don't know where it's gonna fit or how it's gonna fit, but I want you know I want this song on there. Okay. So once I had the the whole playlist there, I went and recorded the whole thing one like one one set like just went through and did the whole thing live. Um, I probably will never do that again. <laughs> Because what followed was a lot of listen, a lot, a lot of listening, followed by a lot, a lot of re-recording sections. And honestly, the, the way I would do it in going forward, forward would be record it in sections, and then stitch it together from there. Because in, at the end of the day, a lot of it was all fading in and fading out anyway. Sure. Um, because there, especially since there's like different tracks um, for the CD and all. Yeah, I I wouldn't I wouldn't um, recommend recording it all at once. But with that said, it is kind of easier to go through and and stitch things in after the fact. So, but you have to go and listen to it so many times. It's easier to get each mix right and then go and re-record anything you need to re-record in between. So, is the the final product is that a result of you doing that that one long entire mix and then going back and re-recording sections? That's correct. That, and, and that's it, how you ended up with 14 versions. <laughs> wow, okay. So, <laughs> what kind of did you have any kind of like post-processing or mastering or anything to glue the whole thing together or did it just did did you let uh let it be what it would be when it came out? Um, I well, I only use Audacity. It's free. Mm-hmm. I would recommend it to anybody uh, that doesn't already know about it. The effects and stuff like that in there, the only real effect that I used was the fade in and fade out. Everything else was done live on the turntables. Uh, cool. I, it, it's interesting because there, there's some parts where I wanted things to sound better than they were supposed to, <laughs> like as they originally sounded on, like say the up soundtrack, because uh, it took the 5.1 mix and brought it down to a 2.0, you know, 2.0 mix. Like the knocking on the doors and stuff like that. I actually went back and like double double over the right channel. I think it was the right or the left channel. Where, whichever channel the knocking was stronger in, I doubled over it so it would be in both channels. Oh, right, okay. Stuff like that. Um, so like I a dual, dual mono kind of... Exactly, exactly. But that's because in the left channel, there might have been like music like fading out and then okay. the knocking's coming in the right. And it just... It was very disorienting, especially when you... When you're in the context of the of the of how I chopped everything up, so you might hear like a knock coming from like way over here and wonder why that. <laughs> yeah, something something to that effect. So it just it made more sense to just um to do things like that. And and with since I had all that extra time to do it, I wasn't worried about oh man, I'll just let that be. So how many of the tra- I mean, did you have to go through and like do any edits of the tracks as far as like 
adding or removing intros and outros, or did you just take the the tracks as they were and work with them? There was, there was only one song that I actually went and edited, and I'm really glad that it worked out the way it did. Uh, Stuck in the middle with you on the right. The way they mixed the the song was on the left side. They had the the vocals and the drums with a little bit of bass, and on the right side they had all the guitar and all the bass. It was bass and drums on one and vocals on the left. And I was able to take the vocals and dub it over so it was left and right, so then it sounded a lot better. Because uh-huh. without it, it, it would have been very... It was, it was, it was okay, but it, was a lot, it ended up being a lot better in the final product by doing that. Um, oh, getting back to the, the equipment, um, the Techniques 1200 MK5s. Classics. You know, yeah. The standard. I, I love mine. Um, <laughs> the, uh, I used Serato. I started out in Serato Scratch Live, moved to uh, Serato DJ halfway through because the 61 got support in Serato DJ, finally. Did so you, Did you I have any challenges them. going from uh, changing software in the middle of your project, or was it pretty intuitive and you just were able to carry on? It was. It wasn't too bad. It was. It was pretty good because they're pretty much the same software. It just does do things a little bit differently. It was nice having extra cue points. That I, you know, from, from marking spots on the tracks. Sure, sure. Um, but yeah, other than that, it was just record straight out of the mixer, straight to an AIFF file, and then edited that in Audacity, and that's how we got the final product. Did you run into any other kind of hurdles or challenges that, that maybe you could tell our listeners about that uh, maybe held you up for a while? Well, Audacity kind of screwed me. <laughs> okay. After giving it a recommendation, uh, I remember one night, I was I think it was around version 5 or 6, it didn't save any of my work. Like, the, the yes. file was corrupted. Yeah, so everything that I had fixed the night before was just gone. And then after that, I was very careful about... That's why all of a sudden the numbers, the version numbers started jumping very quickly, because I was saving and exporting and then re-importing, because I was so nervous about losing what I had. Yeah, I would be very, very leery of that, and I will be leery of that in the future of files getting corrupted. Even though I had the my time machine was backed up, it didn't, it, it wasn't good enough. Yeah, Audacity is great, but I've I've had similar situations. I've had times where I've uh, like been throwing a show out somewhere and recorded somebody's entire live set, you know, DJ mix, and then it it crashed at the end or something. So Audacity has this feature where it saves in little chunks of like, I don't know, 200 meg chunks or whatever you set it. And so I ended up having all of the audio, but I had to go through to keep that file and just manually chop all these little bits of this set to give this two hour set together. And it was a pain. I mean, it was just awful. So yeah, set. Save and export as often as you can. <laughs> yeah, wow, that's, that's especially sucks. working on big projects like Adventuratorium and, and Zombie Hotel because you know not to downplay it, but if you're just if you're just recording a, a standard mix or you just want to go out and, and put together some dance tunes or whatever some night, and your recording messes up, well that sucks, but you lose an hour or two of work. Whereas something like this, from concept to ripping sounds to making edits and putting all this stuff together and you lose all that, it's probably enough to discourage you from trying again. <laughs> Very much so. Yeah, there was um there was a lot of things that went wrong, you know, musically where I was like, oh, I really want to get this track in there. I don't know how I'm gonna do it. And in some cases I had to change the track or change the instrumental altogether. 
which was was kind of frustrating at at times, especially when you listen to certain songs where it's like, hey, these guys at Disney had all the world's best talent, blah 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 blah. Well, they're not singing on beat, <laughs> and it creates this problem where it's like, okay, as the DJ. I want it to sound perfect or as good as perfect can be, especially on two turntables. But at the same time, it's like when you go from 4-4 to 3-4 back to 4-4, and if I, especially if, it, if they do it in such a way where it doesn't make sense to drop the beat, it just doesn't, it, it, it doesn't work. Or if, it, but not even in the 3-4 sense. It's just in the sense of like, hey, they didn't, they just chose not to sing on beat that day. But right. they recorded it. And that's what ended up as the final project, and you're you're stu- you're stuck there trying to make it sound right because if it doesn't sound right, you're the one that sounds bad, not them. They're the they're, they're the classics. Absolutely. You know, they're the Lion Kings of the world, and you're just nobody trying to do what you think it sounds awesome at the time. Yeah, take take somebody who's who's only ever mixed house music and give them a crate full of disco records and tell them to mix it, and they'll probably be shocked at at how different it is. Even <laughs> even if the music sounds very similar to what they're used to mixing, you know, just that human element. You know, we don't we don't realize how imperfect we are until we try to mix two imperfect things on top of each other. I guess. <laughs> yeah, you got that right. I mean, that's that's always been my problem is as you know with the mashups and stuff like that of me doing it. You know, with the turntables, is you're you're trying to fight their drums, right? <laughs> Especially if you're trying to do two live stuff. Like one one mix I did was with Modest Mouse, Float On, and the Killers. But the one where he says like I'm not a uh, you know I'm not a soul or I got soul but I'm not a soldier at the end. Right. Uh, I forget what uh, it was. All these things I've done. Anyway, the the point being is is when it's two live drummers, it it gets hairy. Yeah. The other cool thing that I like about uh, Adventuratorium as as a project overall is you didn't just stop at you know, making a cool mix and then uploading it to Mixcloud or SoundCloud and and posting it on your Facebook and and that was it. You've done a lot of other things that that add to the project. Could you describe some of the ways that you've been able to kind of add value to the Adventuratorium concept? As far as um, you know, promoting and and other various you know things that aren't necessarily just the technical mixing of the project. So without having like a, a PR person or, or an agent <laughs> or anything like that, it, there's a lot to be said for for those people um, when you're trying to figure out the best way to promote something or or well just promoting in general. It's you know it's a sure. it could be a full time job. So early on in the the reason I I chose to go. And attach it to give kids the world, which is like this big 70 acre property down in Orlando that they take in um, these families that have children with illness, uh, life threatening illnesses. And they give them tickets to Disney World. They have parties at night. It's like a five day um, trip that doesn't cost the family anything. And it's all done through through donations. So when I when I actually heard about it, because I had not heard of Give Kids the World before, I was like, yeah, I I really want to attach this to it and let's let's raise some money. Early on, I decided I was like, you know, this this probably is going to be long enough for like a two CD set, and I was like, I can I can sell, you know, get it printed up, I can sell it, and we can you know make generate money for Give Kids the World. Um, in fact, twenty five percent of the ten dollar purchase, um, not including the hand, the shipping is going to give kids the world, which uh, out of 500 CDs out of the first run, that's it's a pretty pretty healthy amount of money. Okay, so 
so we'll link to to give kids the world in the show notes as well. So the so you decided after the fact, you know, after you decided to put the mix together, that you wanted to do something more with this that you could not only provide value as giving people, you know, showing your art to them, but also be able to help this charity. So that's that's super cool. Well, I actually, I, um, actually, that was like the first night I was working on, <laughs> on okay, it. like working on chopping up the audio from up. That's where it first came in. Okay, to play. Well, no, um, that's uh, that's great. Yeah, because I was like, all right, I need to get on the phone with like, I, I need to text DJP, find out who he was getting his CDs from because it's obviously it's copyrighted art. So only certain places are going to be willing to print the CD. Uh, and then I got in t- contact with Matt, my brother-in-law, to do the artwork for it. And I was like, okay, all this is going to come together. It's going to be a while. And it was, you know, like three months later, but it, it's all coming together. So describe to us the, for those who are getting a, a physical copy of the CD, what, what does the Adventuratorium package consist of? So Matt, I had Matt draw four panels for the CD, the front, middle, two panels, and the back panel. And two, as well as two CDs, you're getting all four CDs. 25% of your your $10 is going to give kids the world. It's going to be limited edition, so you're only getting one of 500. With that said, we um, talking about it with Matt, we came up with artwork. If demand is high enough, we will be printing more Adventuratorium copies, but with totally different artwork, and that'll be the artwork from there on out. So you really are getting a limited edition, one of 500 set. Okay. Uh, uh, to me, that that's really great because I've heard of you know other places, other bands and and acts. Oh, it's limited edition, but like yeah, it's one of five hundred, but it ends up being like one of five thousand. Until we run out, then we print more. And, yeah. Exactly. So that's and cool. That's, so that kind of takes the takes it from just being some digital file of you know this mix that you created and kind of turns it into a more of a collector's item that was the that was the idea to try to add value so that we you know ha- people had a reason to donate to give kids the world but that said we've to date have raised 170 dollars through uh selling matt's artwork uh we're auctioning off matt's artwork to people who are fans of up and and disney in general cool and there's there's more artwork to come uh, Joe, could you describe the? I mean, how, how have you been promoting yourself and Adventuratorium through this whole thing? I mean, what what steps have you taken to kind of generate buzz? I know that I'm not your first interview, for example. Talking with my friend Amy, who she's all about the the self promotion stuff. She has like her own book coming out and stuff like that. She you know, she told me she's like, you really need to get a, a Facebook page, you know, get your Twitter thing going, and and do as much promoting as you can. Yeah, so I, I had never really promoted anything like this before. So I, I wasn't aware that, like, with Facebook, you pretty much have to pay to play. And yeah, that's fairly recent, but, yeah, it's it's gotten to the point where you can't just – if you post something up, doesn't mean anybody's going to see it. <laughs> and, that, and that's very true. I mean, it tells you right there how many people have seen it organically and how many people have seen it paid. With that said, um, you don't have to spend a whole, whole lot of money to get people to see things. Now, I personally have because I am very confident I'm going to sell all 500 copies and yeah. not lose any money and not lose any money on this. <laughs> <laughs> so with that said, you, you know, every time I've done an interview or a review, I've pitched $5 to boost that post on Facebook. You know, I, I like it because it gives me exposure. You know, people that like literally thousands and uh, tens and actually tens of thousands of people have seen these posts. 
so you know, I pitch five dollars towards the inter- you know the interviews, the reviews, and you know the the blog appreciates it or or the podcast appreciates it. I appreciate it because it's you know it's only five bucks, but you you get exposure. Sure. Um, and Facebook does a pretty good job of telling you how many people have seen your post and and what they've done with your post, how they clicked on it, how they interacted with it. So I would say that it's it's definitely worth it, and and even to pitch five dollars for say a week's worth of exposure on some on post, big posts that are important, it's definitely worth it. Yeah, it's, that's something I've been experimenting a lot with, both with uh, with passionate DJ and with my my local like name that I throw shows under. It's the Revive Project, and it's it's one of those things that if you know how to use it and use it well, it can be very helpful. And I just think I think people are are still a little scared of the idea, or at least hesitant to to be like, well, why why should I pay to to promote something? But at the same time, I mean, if you if you take a five or ten or even a hundred dollar advertising budget, I I would challenge you to use it better than you can by just boosting a post on Facebook and and the results that you get. At least for now, that's, that stuff's all changing rapidly. So you know, listening in the future, this could be you know not the case. But I, I think it's worth at least experimenting with on a lower level to get some results. Because otherwise, nobody's just going to see it. You know, and it, what's worse, paying five dollars to boost a post, or you know, just not making the post and having nobody see it. That's true. Uh, with that said, I would be leery about spending too much money. As I, as I mean, agreed. I've spent close to a thousand dollars so far on on promoting Adventuratorium on Facebook, and the CD is not even out yet. My my problem is is people will like the page, they'll like the you know the post, they won't necessarily click on the anything past the like button. Mm. You know, like because you'll see, like I, I would I would be sitting at my computer and I'll say, okay, this person um, liked it from a very specific location. You know, they they list their location of where they're from on Facebook, so you can see where they're from. You go into like the Google Analytics, you look at the you know where where people are looking at the pages from, and their their location is not where you know they're they're not there it didn't yeah. happen so it's like damn like you you pay a lot of money and and yeah people are seeing it but I, it's you know I, I always relate it back to the um when i was working with the the underage nightclub is like you know the whole 10 percent rule you're lucky if you get 10 percent of the flyers that you put out back sure so, so, so you just gotta keep throwing spaghetti at the wall until something sticks yeah well you know a lot of people put way too much stock in things like Facebook likes or uh, yeah. SoundCloud plays and that sort of thing, where it's, you know, I would rather, you know, for example, at the time of this recording, you know, I might have 1,300 likes on the Passionate DJ page. I would rather have those 1,300 people that are that are fans of Passionate DJ than to have 10,000 people who just clicked like because of whatever tactic I used to get them to click like, you know what I mean? And I would rather have my couple of hundred people that I have on my mailing list who I interact with and will give me feedback and I give them feedback and that sort of thing. I would rather have that few hundred people than to have 10,000 people that I'm just spamming all day. So it really is about finding those those fans, I think, as opposed to just people who are willing to click a like button. That's one thing that I really like about the the way you seem to be handling Adventuratorium because you've got, you know, these I think you've done at least five or six other interviews uh since I've started paying attention. You're on these Disney podcasts, so you're getting this these people who are just into Disney 
products of any kind or or art or whatever. So you've got that demographic, and so now you're on Passionate DJ. You're talking from a DJ standpoint, and so now there are people listening who are saying, oh, okay, I want to see what he did here. Um, I want to see maybe how I can learn from this, or they might just appreciate it on a different level. So you you know you're kind of planting these seeds in all these little different spots. Putting that kind of extra effort in is is really worth it because you're giving people a reason to pay attention instead of just posting it on SoundCloud and saying why is nobody listening? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I've enjoyed doing all the interviews. The the reviews have been wonderful. You know, going back to the marketing thing, when I knew that the project was done, one of the things I did. And I, I would suggest to anybody, it's a lot of work, but is go to your demographic. I mean, I went to over a hundred websites that were all Disney based. Didn't matter if they were about Disney food or they were about Disneyland, Disney World. Like it, it didn't matter. Like I even contacted one uh, that was uh, all about the Muppets. I contacted them, basically sending them to a link where I didn't have that the trailer that you can see on adventuratorium.com yet, but I did have the last song that you hear in in adventuratorium available up on the website uh as a teaser so i i would i sent the i sent the email out and said hey listen to this if you like it email me back for information for pre-release and i set up like a whole you know password protected website about 20 or so of the hundred got back to me and out of that only about I'd say 10 or 15 have gotten back to me from there, like after they've listened to it. That's actually a really good return rate. It is. I will say this that people need to to take note of is if your website doesn't have a contact us with an email address and all you have is the Facebook, make sure you check your Facebook messages because (laughs) I sent a lot of Facebook messages to a lot of different blogs. They never even read it. It's like, dude, dude, are you even paying attention? Yep, That's absolutely. why I was so shocked when when Robin Scouters got back to me because I'm like I sent that uh, you know a shot in the dark that he would even well first off they would even read it second off they would even listen to it let alone download it and you know he actually got back to me which is really cool I did get some responses back said oh this is this sounds great let me know when it's out but I can't review it because of the copyrights. But you go to their website and it's all copyright stuff. Like it's all copyright and like Mickey heads and, and stuff. So I was like, well, I think there's a lot to be said for you know actually taking the time to to individually contact all these people, not by just sending out an email blast to all these different people. That is, I mean, like actually take the time to send a personalized, customized email to all these people, and it might take, you know, there's there's this thing uh, that people talk about in the blogging world where they you basically come up with uh, a spreadsheet of 200 people and you find a 200 contacts that it makes the most sense for you to get in touch with about for blogging it's about whether you want to work with them to do guest book cross posting or whatever but you know for something like putting together this mix find in your case you, you said 100 people that you contacted yeah it was like 100 105 or something like that ended up being i still yeah. have the list of the emails and i marked each one that i or each one that I contacted, and then each one that contacted me back. So, you know, I don't know how long it took you to put all those emails together, but, you know, let, let's say that you killed an entire day doing that. Well, you still got, you know, 10 or 15 good, solid leads out of that that you've been able to use that you would have never gotten otherwise. 
And I think people are just they, – they want all these things to be automated, and they, they think that if they create something, people will come. And that's just not the case. I mean, there's there's so much noise out there that it's hard to find the signal. And if you you need to give them a reason to listen, and you know, the fact that you took the time to write all these people individually, and it, and it wasn't just some massive blast generic email, it really speaks a lot. It's okay. I'm going to pay attention to this guy. He took the time to contact me directly. You know, and like you said, most people aren't going to respond or may not even see it, but the the two, five, ten percent that do, are, you know, are worth the 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 time investment. I think they they definitely are. And you know, a lot of those websites didn't even have like actual email addresses. They had like contact us type things. So mm-hmm. I I mean, I personalized each one, but overall, like the, there was a block of the email that was, you know, okay, go he, you know, go here. And listen to this, and then you know if you want, contact me back because the release date is you know the 14th. So if you want to have a review before then, get get back to me. But like you know, you leave the top so you can write something personalized for that. Otherwise, you would be writing like typing. You would just be nonstop typing. So, but it was a lot of copy and paste. It, I wasn't one email blast um, at all because as I found each website and I got the email address, I sent the the email out. You know, sure. I, Put in their name and or it was the closest I could find to their name, um, yeah. and and wrote like a little message at the top that was personalized to their website why they should contact me and then there was the, the generic message underneath. Yeah, that's kind of how I do it when I'm doing similar projects because uh, first of all, I mean, if you make it so that you can't tell that you've reused part of the message over and over again, then nobody's the wiser. But I think that even if you know. The fact that you took the time to find out this person's first name is Bob, and you put Bob, comma, and then wrote it out. The fact that you took the time to do that means that you're you're willing to interact with them one on one and willing to give them the time of day. And if they reply to that, they're not going to get like a, a generic no reply message saying they're talking to a real person, you know. And I sometimes that that's all it takes is that just that little extra step. So tell me about this uh, the streaming concert. About uh, a week or two ago, I decided that you know I, I well I knew before that I really always wanted to do like a concert thing. Like I've been to other DJs concerts, like RG, uh, RJD2s, DJ Z Trip a few times. I always knew that I wanted to do some kind of like live concert with DJing. Uh, they're always fun to me. I enjoy them. I knew I wanted to do something like that for years and years, but I never had the right project or the right people. And, and for a while there, I didn't even have any real, you know, any friends that DJ to, to do it with. Cause I always feel like having somebody else with me gives you more freedom to do things with Adventure I was like, you know, I really want to do like a live streaming concert because as much as I would love to do like a tour, even if it was only five shows or three shows or whatever, I don't know that it would actually have like be able to happen. I don't know if I could get the fans of Adventuratorium or enough fans in any one city for it to work. So we, uh, me and my wife had the Disney party. Uh, last year was our, our first one, and this this year in August will be our second one. So it, you know, get everybody, especially people from Florida, they you know they can come up and and have a good time, and there's no crowds, and we're all we all get it. So for us. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a really it was a great time last year, and this this year I wanted to tie Adventuratorium to it. Now I knew I wanted to do um, a concert, I knew I wanted to, to stream one online, but I didn't know when I was going to do it. 
just so happens that, you know, we, we looked at the dates for our party and was like, okay, August 2nd. Okay. That's when we're having the party. That's when they'll be streaming online. We'll be selling t-shirts online, stickers online, the CDs. There's a DVD release that's being worked on by Jerry Skids, who did the trailer for Adventuratorium. So it's uh, basically the mix is the soundtrack, and then he's slicing in the video from uh, you know as almost as if he was like a, a video DJ. So the is the concert. Um, so you're you're going to be streaming it live. It's kind of a this this kind of house party vibe, but you're also going to stream it. Are you playing the mix as it exists? through the stream or are you actively are you interacting with the music playing the actual tunes that you used in the mix how, how does that work one of the most boring things to me at a concert is when a band comes out and plays the music the way it was heard on the cd okay um, and usually not nearly as well as it is heard right. on the CD. to me there's going to be there's going to be at least one maybe two opening acts that will, you know, start the night off. For Adventuratorium, I have a lot of different ideas from uh, different props and stuff like that I want to use. The music will be mostly Adventuratorium, but I plan on in- including acoustic versions of some of the songs done by some of the people that are doing the open act- opening acts. Okay. As well as other live performance type stuff, um, like live, you know, finger drumming and stuff like that, including different versions of the songs that are you hear in Adventuratorium. Do you have any other projects that are coming down the pike, or are you pretty much focused on Adventuratorium for now? I, I do have uh, another project. I, I, I haven't started working on it quite yet. I got it prepped, um, the audio for it. I don't, I don't want to say what it is. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Well, definitely uh, keep an eye out for that. I mean, obviously I'm a big fan of, of any kind of, thing done in a DJ context that's kind of a, a step above or beyond, you know, just hitting record and, and spitting some tunes out. You know, I think that you've got a whole big project here that's super cool. Well, thank you. And uh, and, and I think it's really cool that you've tied that to uh, a good cause as well. And uh, I think that uh, our listeners will appreciate that. So if they would like to check it out, I'll put all the links in the show notes, uh, both for Adventuratorium, the um, uh, up-inspired the, inspired by the movie up i should say mix and then uh, as well as my zombie themed uh, zombie hotel mix uh which was put together a little differently mine's more of a, a studio mix i didn't use turntables i actually put that together all in software and uh, kind of put it together the way you you might put together an album so they like you said it's a lot slower paced and different sounding and yours has a much more uplifting and human element to it and so i think that there's there's kind of Two different sides of the same coin, so it's kind of cool to be able to, to hook up and talk about that. Yeah, definitely. So I'll link to both of those. And uh, so where where can listeners of the podcast uh, connect with you? You know, my other mixes, some of my other mixes at uh, jpar.co, as well as if you just go to Adventuratorium. It's the same site. It's just a specific, it goes to a specific page on jpar.co. Anything else that you want to mention before we wrap up? Well, I, uh, real quick, I just want to mention that, you know, the album's dedicated to my, my late grandparents. Um, they always really believed that I could do anything I wanted to. You know, it's, it's a great feeling to, to be able to, to believe in yourself and then to actually start to make that happen. And, uh, if anybody has an idea, they should just follow through with it. That fits in so well with the whole theme of the movie up. And, and I, that's just a fantastic place to end, Joe. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. 
Well, great interview with Joe, and so glad to uh, be able to support his project and uh, the cause that he's put behind it. Um, very cool to see people just, uh, you know, take something like this and, and really put in the extra effort to make it something that's worth paying attention to. You know, so many people, uh, DJs, will upload mixes and blast them on their Facebook walls and just never really understand why nobody's listening, and it, it it doesn't mean that you're not any good or anything. It just, you know, there's so much to, out there to listen to. So what are you going to do to kind of grab people's attention and, and say, hey, you know, this is this is something that's worth dedicating some time to. Um, and Joe has done that by many different things, you know, providing uh, custom artwork and doing a limited CD release and doing the streaming concert and, you know, really actually putting all the time and effort into this mix to make it something that's a little out of the ordinary, and he's tied it in with a whole bunch of other, you know, Disney-related podcasts, and so I'm glad to be able to bring it into uh, the DJ audience here and host it on the Passionate DJ podcast so that we could kind of get into the technical details and talk about the DJ side of things. So um, I hope you guys will check out his mix. You can uh, go to jpar.co and... Uh, Click on Adventuratorium, and you can stream it or download it there, or you can also purchase one of the two CD sets. And if you would like to check out my own storytelling mix, Zombie Hotel, um, you can go to dmichael.org. And, of course, I'll link to both of those and everything else that we discussed in the podcast in the show notes, which you can get to at passionatedj.com slash 008. Thank you guys so much for tuning in, and we'll see you for Episode 9. Thanks for listening to the Passionate DJ Podcast at www.passionatedj.com. Check out the fan page at facebook.com slash passionatedj or on Twitter at DJ with Passion. And always remember to keep on spinning. <laughs>